What if I told you the movie Fight Club was not just a movie? What if I told you actual fight clubs took place in elite all-boys schools and were sanctioned by members of the faculty and administration? The presence of fight clubs in these elite all-boys schools raises the question, is violence an innate feature of masculinity? Hello and welcome back to the Redefining Masculinity podcast. I'm your co-host, Clay Bolster. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. I'm a sociology major at Colby, as well as a member of the basketball team, and I'm from New York City. Hey, and I'm Will Nippon. I also use he, him pronouns. I'm also a sociology major uh, with a minor in anthropology, and I play football at Colby, and I'm also from New York City, and it's great to be here, and today we'll be talking about uh, violence at elite all-boys schools. So let's get to the episode. So to start, most people think of violence as purely physical, but violence actually comes out in many forms at these elite schools. Apart from the presence of physical violence, sexual violence and homophobia are also very prevalent. And all three of these forms of violence should be recognized as their own distinct forms of violence. Yeah, definitely. And these forms of violence are distinct, but they all play a similar role in these elite all-boys schools. These schools are meant to prepare students to become elites in the future. 100%. uh, To hold positions of power in society, such as presidents or CEOs or doctors, lawyers, etc., um, and so in order to be in a position of power, you need to learn how to exert power over others. Definitely. Yep. That's exactly what the role of violence at these elite all-boys schools does. It teaches them how to exert power over others. Yeah, that's exactly right. And through this process, you know, the notion that violence is an intrinsic part of masculinity is kind of developed. Yep, definitely. And, you know, while violence is used in these spaces to create boundaries and exclusions within the brotherhood that exists at elite all-boys schools. Definitely super interesting stuff, and all this we'll be talking about throughout the podcast, but we want to get to some stories first. Um, We're going to focus on one story about a fight club and physical violence at these elite all-boys schools because I feel like it embodies all of the characteristics we just talked about. It's definitely an intriguing story. 100%. Let's get to it. And just, you know, right before we get to the stories, we just want to reiterate that all the names of schools as well as the people in the story are pseudonyms. We don't use any real names, so... Just keep that in mind. Wyatt sat lost in his thoughts on the bleachers, not really paying attention to the guys on the court playing basketball. A loud bang of the gym doors closing brought his thoughts back to what was going on around him. Everyone there knew what it meant when the doors closed. It was time to form a circle. Wyatt and the others surrounded two of their classmates on the football team at the center of the court, wrapped in arms. Damn, it's heating up. For real. You know, most of these guys were already playing basketball, so they're drenched in sweat. You know, they're pressed up against each other, hot, steamy, sweaty. You know, their adrenaline is pumping. A couple of the students, you know, stood on the outer edges of the circle, close to the door, making sure the teachers weren't nearby. Although they would always check with the gym teacher up top. He would always give them the okay. Yeah, definitely demonstrate some of that uh, school sanction. 100%. You know, the gym starts to get quiet. The boys are getting ready. You know, it's just, it's kind of, it's time for battle. And right before they get, you know, all started, the football coach comes down. I love this part. He goes... You know, if any of you get hurt, it's all your asses. So I think it just kind of, you know, it shows that the teachers knew. Obviously, a lot of these guys were on the football team. Their coach knew, but they couldn't really do anything to stop these guys from, you know, having their fight club, letting their masculinity out. Exactly. And so two of the football players stand in the middle of a circle facing each other, and, you know, the crowd's getting hype. You know how, how it is. But yeah. Everyone gets hype. <laughs> and so then uh, one of Wyatt's closest friends, Austin, is standing over his teammate, and Austin takes off his shirt and tie and his blazer, and he sets back, and he's just jacked, just this huge guy, massive build. And one of Austin's friends goes, he looks more like an NFL player than a high school kid. 
And then a, a, a guy standing next to Wyatt goes, Jesus Christ, Austin's going to kill him. I think he's right. I would not want to fight this dude. So Austin is his friend are usually good friends. They usually hang out together, but not today. Today they begin by strapping up their, their gloves, putting the gloves on their hands, and a third football player comes out, takes his role as the Michael Buffer of the, of the fight, and goes, <laughs> let's get ready to rumble as the people are banging on the bleachers. And so th- they start shit-talking to each other, and uh, they get ready to fight. And, you know, once the fight kind of starts out, they're a little hesitant. They're just kind of bouncing on their toes, not really throwing or landing any punches. But eventually Galen, who's Austin's friend, lands a jab right to the chest. And that's when the crowd starts going crazy. Everybody's hyped. They're like, yeah, you finally started swinging. That's when shit pops off. Yeah. And from there, you know, like we said, Austin and Galen are boys. But after that hit, Austin was upset. So he hit Galen in the stomach and then hit him with a jab to the face. That'll get you every time. <laughs> those jabs to the face, those hurt. And then, you know, after that hit to the face, Galen thought Austin went a little too far. You know, it's primarily supposed to be body punches, yeah. body shots, not really anything to the face. But, you know, after a couple seconds, the fight stopped. Tensions kind of calmed back down. They had class. They got dressed again. And, you know, after that, their, their, you know, their friendship kind of was rekindled. It was just for that moment that during the fight, they were enemies, but as soon as you know their gloves were off, they were back to being brothers. Yeah, exactly. I think that's part of the point of this this fight club. It's it's allowed these guys to get their beef out, get whatever they need to get out. But once you get it out in that space, once you get it out, it's, it's over and it's calmed yeah. up, and that contributes to the brotherhood present yeah. in these schools. And obviously, there's some problematic features of you know fighting like that in a school setting and it being sanctioned. But I think for the for the students at least, you know that that was one of the the primary primarily like important elements of it is they could let what they think is their masculinity out because they think that they're you know naturally violent but obviously there are some problematic elements of doing that in a school setting for yeah, sure definitely and just to give them a couple more details about the, this fight club so there's a couple of rules that, that go into it just to make sure it stays intact yeah, um, obviously they had their their friends in the administration but not yeah. the whole administration was okay with it or knew about it so they wanted to kind of keep it under wraps to an extent exactly exactly and so the part first rule was fight clubs never planned if you start planning things i think people start to hear about it and that's when it gets too big um and then also has to be you have to wear boxing gloves and no hits to the face or because that's how when people can start seeing stuff that's when uh it gets out of hand and like people you may not want professors that are maybe not as cool with they would uh start to see that if suits kept coming from the you know the gym with black eyes and bruises i'm sure some (laughs) some questions would be raised definitely might raise some questions (laughs) Uh, and then i think all these rules are kind of meant to keep this brotherhood these all boys schools intact i think it's meant to kind of make sure that they have a space to get out their testosterone and kind of try to show their masculinity but in a difficult way yeah which we'll talk about a little bit in a yeah, second. But, you know, what happens in the fight club stays in the fight club. So exactly. Just like having those rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but having those rules was kind of made that setting a lot more intimate for those guys. So Yeah, definitely. And then it allows them to move past it. and doesn't allow them to carry this beef into other spaces like the classrooms or yeah. lunchrooms or anything where it could cause further rift within the school. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously jeopardize their brotherhood, which was, you know, Something that they never wanted to do. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so now that we've finished kind of telling the story, well, I mean, have you seen the movie Fight Club? Yeah, I have. It's, it's been a minute. I might have to watch it again, but I have seen it. I mean, what'd you think? It's, it's such a good movie. Yeah, it's, it's a, a great classic. Movie. 
what I love about it in particular is the kind of the message behind this movie. I don't think a lot of people catch this, but um, it's kind of a, the message is kind of a critique of the impact of capitalism on masculinity and male identity. And yeah, as I said, I feel like a lot of people don't, don't really catch that. hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's even more ironic because so many of the alums of our study, as we see from the data, you know, go on to jobs in finance and, you know, jobs that are so reliant upon and intertwined with capitalism yeah. And, you know, these students love the movie and they, you know, replicate it in their own daily lives. But they kind of fail to understand the fact that the movie is criticizing a system which they believe so, you know, fully in, which is capitalism. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's crazy. Yeah. And just to start our conversation, I say let's talk about the unification between masculinity and violence. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the whole idea that men are inherently violent kind of comes from the notion that, I guess, our male ancestors had the responsibilities of being hunters, yep. and then given the need for violence and hunting, this, I guess, was you know evolutionarily favorable. Um, and then from there, it just kind of became associated with and intertwined with masculine traits. Yep, exactly. And, and taking that kind of a step further, since men are considered naturally violent, as, as the argument goes, um, the most valued forms of masculinity are claimed through violence yep. and exerting violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so according to this line of thinking, that means men only understand who they truly are through exertion of violence. And I think just as equally important, men can only form authentic bonds with people through violence, with yeah. other men like through violence. Like we see in Fight Club. Uh, just as we see in Fight Club, exactly. And I think in this study, in the interviews, alums kind of reiterated this, um, explaining that their Fight Clubs provided a space for them to be their authentic selves, to really show their true masculinity. Um, and allowed them to form stronger bonds with their friends. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting that the story, you know, or the end of the story kind of emphasizes the relationship between Fight Club and the Brotherhood at these, you know, these schools. A lot of the alums in the study suggested that Fight Clubs in their schools brought people closer and created a stronger bond. Um, But this notion isn't necessarily true. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a contradiction. And to that point, uh, renowned sociologist Raymond Connell, uh, I think she would argue that acts of violence, such as those used in the story of Fight Club, are not about bringing men closer together, but instead are used as a means of drawing boundaries between men and actually create exclusion. Definitely. Um, And the reason why this is significant, because um, this ability to create and maintain boundaries, especially within these elite all-boys schools for these elite men, um, really prepares these students to exert power over others in real-world contexts, which they'll end up doing in their future. 100%, because these schools kind of prepare them to take jobs in you know, high positions. Exactly. And you know, I think so while the students at these elite all-boys schools might have felt a stronger bond after the fights, this doesn't apply to workplace contexts. You know? mm-hmm. And I think using violence in school and getting used to creating boundaries <laughs> and being comfortable in hierarchical exclusive settings prepares these alums to exercise powers over others in the future. A thousand percent. And I think this kind of relates also to the work of Cookson Purcell, who would argue that uh, violence is essential in the process of these alums becoming elite men. Um, This elite status and the ability to exercise power over others is needed to secure this status and requires a sort of solidarity. Yeah. And so then I think power relies on, like, someone's ability to maybe impose their will on and over others. Mm-hmm. Um, and they explain that, in quotes, to be effective power must be exercised collectively, unquote. Yeah. Um, and so those who exercise power, quote, cannot be too squeamish about the injuries, unquote, they, that they inflict upon others. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, exactly speaks to Fight Club 
and speaks of the importance of being comfortable with creating divisions and the, uh, being comfortable with fighting and exerting power over others. Yeah, and we even see that in other stories in the chapter as well, like the senior grass. Kind exactly. Of, like the seniors as a group would exclude everyone else in the school, and I think like the idea of exercising power collectively becomes a really important for these alums after they graduate because you know they're kind of equipped with the broader brotherhood of being graduates or alums of elite all boys schools exactly and when they're occupying high positions in society like then they can definitely exercise their power uh, and definitely create those exclusions and those exclusions are present because they went to these elite all boys schools and then they can use that connections they've created at these elite all boys schools to yeah. further create those exclusions definitely and i mean think about it like remember the projects we did in the past like you know how many members of senate like are alums of elite yeah, all exactly. boys schools like you know Brett Kavanaugh, he went to yeah. he went to Georgetown Prep, so exactly. like it manifests itself. It def mm -hmm. it's definitely present in our everyday lives. But I think you have to really start analyzing and studying their, these people's backgrounds to understand where they come from. And once you do that, it kind of makes sense, you know, the power that they do have and the ease with which they demonstrate that power. Exactly, definitely starts to all add up. Like speaking of Kavanaugh, like. Yeah. His uh, violence against women, sexual violence against women, exactly. starts to add up when you you connect it to his time in these little boys schools. His background, and yeah, his background. So yeah, definitely, definitely. So this whole episode, we've kind of been talking about violence and how it comes out at elite all boys schools and kind of the value and the point of this violence at these schools. So Clay, let, let me ask you: Do you think that violence is an intrinsic feature of masculinity? Is violence truly what it means to be a man? I mean, you know, to answer your question short. No, I think what it means to be a man is a lot more complex than that, and there's a mm -hmm. lot of different, you know, masculinities or forms of masculinity out there. You know, I think there's this misconception that a true man is this big macho guy who's always, you know, willing to fight somebody, beat somebody up, never shows their emotions, but, you know, I mean, that's not the version of masculinity that I live by, and I don't feel any less, you know, masculine than someone who is a fighter, you know? I agree with you 100%. I mean, if you look at some of the most influential men in our history, Gandhi, MLK, what do they, they preach? Anti-violence. Yeah, so yeah. That was their whole MO. Exactly. There wasn't a violent bone in their bodies, yet I don't think anyone would question their masculinity or argue they aren't two of the most powerful men in history. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, what makes these men truly masculine? Or other nonviolent men. Yeah, in general. I think that there are multiple factors that, that go into being man. I think this is something that we've actually done work on together. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yep. A, a you know. Quick, shameless plug of our TikTok sex ed for guys. Go check, check it, it out. out. Check it out. Um, but yeah, it's something we've gone over in depth in our TikToks is Definitely. masculinity. Um, I know there's mul there's multiple types of masculinity, including hegemonic or toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. as well as healthy masculinity. And I think like hegemonic and toxic are a little more aligned with you know, guys not showing their emotions, exactly. guys being violent and, you know, not, I think the healthy masculinity concept is something that we kind of discovered last year, but yeah. it kind of stresses the other, you know, showing your emotions, being friends with girls and not necessarily caring about, you know, having relationships with them. And I think that there's like the toxicity and the violence or the toxicity um, and the hegemonic forms are more aligned with kind of men being violent exactly and more line i think with the fight club story 100%. but i think that that healthy masculinity speak on that you did a great video on that i think that's <laughs> one of our, our most popular videos i'll um, take it i'll take it's it def definitely good and to speak on that even further there were some comments on that tiktok <laughs> yeah, the comments were crazy <laughs> yeah they were there, one said i thought clay was was going to come out yeah. and 
I feel like that just shows that being vulnerable is not considered a, a intrinsic part of masculinity by much of our society when yeah. I feel like that's not true. I feel like it's important to be vulnerable. Yeah, and even a step further, like, that kind of creates a divide between being masculine and being straight. Like, yeah. all the comments that were saying that they thought I was gay or I was going to come out because I wasn't practicing the masculinity that they were so comfortable, you know, practicing and seeing. Yeah. You know, that's not the masculinity that's prioritized. And I think because of that, there's this misconception that, you know, practicing another form of masculinity that emphasizes, you know, showing your emotions, journaling, being friends with girls is a lot more aligned with being, you know, gay, <laughs> which, which yeah. I, gay people are not considered any less masculine because, exactly. of that, because they're gay. I think exactly. gay, they can be considered even more masculine because they're willing to be who they truly are. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. And masculinity, I mean, it's just, it's just so complex at the end of the day. So yeah. to say that one person's masculinity is more masculine than another person or is more gay or more straight is just, you know, it just, it, 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 it can't have any meaning because, you know, I can be just as manly as you and practice a completely different masculinity. For exactly. You. So, you know, and to kind of wrap up, I think it's interesting. We occupy a pretty unique you know, position because we're both athletes. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you play football, which requires a ton of violence. So could you kind of, you know, speak on your experience? As yeah, a football so player? I think you kind of have to separate the football field versus the rest of, of your life. Um, so I think the football field is definitely a hyper-masculine space where violence is necessary. Otherwise, you'll get hurt. Yeah. Um, and But I think it's very different from these elite all-boys schools. Yeah. Um, it's similar in the fact that it's exerting physical violence over others yeah. as a symbol of power. Yeah. But... It's different in the fact that these football fields are a controlled environment with yeah. referees, coaches. The violence is controlled and acknowledged by the whole school. It's allowed. Yeah. It's sanctioned. You're trying to win a game. Exactly. Like, there's we're, a reason for it. Exactly. Where these elite all-boys schools are more of spaces where learning goes on, yeah. where you're building relationships, you're developing relationships, and the violence isn't sanctioned by referees, coaches, administration. There's not a whole fan section watching. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a very different environment, but it's important to be able to show forms of healthy masculinity off the field while still being violent on the field. Yeah, you kind of leave your violence on the field. That's what you do to when you play football, but that's not who you are. Exactly. And I think it's harder to do that, you know, when you're going to the gym and you're having fight club with your friends. Exactly. Like, it's a completely different dynamic. And I think one more thing to separate these two is that football isn't teaching us elite how to be an elite man, how to yeah. uh, prepare us for positions of power in society. It gives us aspects of that, but it's not preparing us for that. Um, and so in the same way that elite all boys schools, you know, like one of the primary teaching moments for yes. these schools is, or the primary purposes is to prepare these students to occupy powerful positions in society. You know, exactly. It's necessary. Like you were going to say, it's necessary to, you know, exhibit these this power over others exactly and so kind of connect it back to the chapter yeah um there are certainly spaces for different types of masculinity at these schools i think they play football at these schools yeah there's a space for that but it seems as though there's more of a violent nature at these schools would you say yeah definitely yeah and i think these schools continually put the students in places of power over others as we've kind of seen uh in our research throughout the study that whether it be during the fight club, in classrooms, in relationships with sister schools or on athletic fields, 
their status as educational and athletic institution is continuously putting them in positions of power over others, which gives them a feeling of comfortability having this power or privilege. Definitely. And then kind of taking that a step further, once they graduate, you know, and they've already demonstrated or and exerted their power over yeah. others, they have a comfortability of being elite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's exactly what the school is preparing them to do in the workforce. Exactly. Definitely so. interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that about wraps up our podcast. I think it was a great conversation. Well, thank you guys for listening. And if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please make sure you check out our larger project that we've been working on called Privileged Brotherhoods by Adam Howard at privilegebrotherhoods.org. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you guys. Mm-hmm.